0: Welcome back to the Leading Yourself Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to bring you this episode. It's probably my best episode yet. I'm so honored to have today Scott Miller as a guest. Scott is the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership at Franklin Covey, where he's been working for the last 24 years. He's also the host of the Franklin Covey one leadership podcast and the author of several books but one of my favorites from management mass to leadership success with no further ado i leave you with this amazing episode i hope you enjoy it as much as i enjoyed this conversation with scott the tools, tips, and tricks to help you in your journey. So let's dig in into today's episode. It's such an honor that you accepted to join me today. I've been following you for months. Um, I'm a fan of your podcast, uh, the Franklin Covey On Leadership podcast, and I've read your book from um management mess to leadership success and i have to say that i'm obsessed with the book Mm, i've done the entire 30 challenges oh wow were more difficult than others um (laughs) so it took me actually more than 30 days to be able to complete it um but as i said i'm such a fan i'm i've i learned every time every podcast episode i learned something and it's such an honor that you're here today. Um, I want to start this podcast in a very, maybe an unconventional way with a question that I haven't heard anyone ask you in any podcast that I listen to. And that is being completely honest with you. When I started listening to you, I had to pause for a moment and I was questioning myself Um because your personality seems to be very bold and more informal. And don't take me wrong, I love your energy, I love your personality. But when I find out that you've been working for Franklin Covey for over 24 years, I was like, your personality seems different than what my image of Franklin Covey is, a very conservative, formal, very professional, um, company which I often really admire. Um, what do you actually did your success at as, as Franklin Covey?
1: Well, first, I think you are very insightful. <laughs> I think you have, uh, you have uh, uncovered an incongruency there, which you're right. I, although I, I would consider myself professional, you're right. I'm a very loud, charismatic, uh, opinionated person who sometimes, thinks he's acting fearless, when in fact I might be acting a bit reckless. And you're also right that Franklin Covey is a little more of a conservative buttoned down um, culture where I have acted a little bit like a bull in a China shop. Um, Of course, me being the bull and the company culture being the China shop. So you're absolutely right on your assessment of both of those. But I think the two have actually worked very well together I think that I brought to Franklin Covey a personality that was actually um, generally very well received where I am willing to take on um, the elephant in the room. I'm willing to discuss Mm -hmm. sometimes the undiscussables. I'm willing to talk straight and have high courage conversations where perhaps our culture was a little more naive nice and kind of in quotation, quotation marks, nice. And I also think that the opposite is true or the converse is true that I have learned from the Franklin Covey company that not everything I think needs to be said. Not every opinion that I have needs to be expressed, that I'm not right just because I say it. So I actually think that I'm a better leader as a result of the company's culture. And I think the company's culture is a result of my leadership. So I think the reason I've thrived for so long is we've worked very well together and we've both grown from the benefit of each other.
0: Yeah, yeah I can absolutely see everything that you just said um, in everything that I've heard about you, listening through your podcast, listening in social media. So it, it, as I said, I, I love your energy. I love your personality. And I think that... <laughs> It does bring a different way of, a different perspective and a different way of of looking at things and talking about things. And I'm a little bit like you, I have to confess, that's why I had to ask the question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's taken, uh, first of all, again, I applaud your insights and I also applaud your vulnerability to admit that you see some similarities in me. I, I don't think I'm the outlier. I think too often people don't bring their whole selves to work that they suppress their true personality and their true gifts because they want to fit into a company culture. I I, I get it, right? I mean, I don't think you should say whatever's on your mind or do whatever you feel like doing, especially in an organization. I do, however, think that most organizations that want to attract great talent and creativity and and, and enthusiastic um, energy need to better have their culture fit the employees than have the employees fit their culture. I think there's a change going on across organizations where even human resource departments are less inclined to say, well, they don't fit our culture. And instead saying, how can our culture help fit you?
0: Very, very true. Working in HR, I've seen, that change over time, right? We started hiring based on someone having the skills required to do the job or even not the skills, but having, um, you know, the degree and the experience to having the skills, to being a fit to the culture. And in your book, you talk about as a leader, finding the right fit for the people, the people to the role. And and I think it's absolutely true. That has been an evolution that we've gone through, and I think that makes us better organizations. Where, as you said, people can bring their true selves to work.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think the days are over, Carolina, of people having two separate lives. You know, I'm older than you, I'm sure, but back in the you know 80s and 90s, you know, most people had their private life, and most people had their professional life, and they were very separate. And now I think it's not even remotely the case. I think everyone has one life. We always had one life. We just chose to artificially separate them for any number of reasons. But now that work is you know 24 seven, that the global economy is impacting everyone, that our lives are intertwined with our professional identities more and more for good or bad, people bring their whole selves to work. And therefore I think organizations need to and are better accommodating people's needs, schedules, flexibilities, and at the same time recognize that they're getting an unprecedented level of contribution from people if they can accommodate, you know, people's different preferences and lives as well.
0: Absolutely. So I want to talk about this year. We are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the book that has most impacted my life. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, more than management
1: mess? Come on, that's insulting.
0: (laughs) Well, I was going to (laughs) say, I can see that it has also impacted yours. It has. I could see a lot of the seven habits in your book. And my question to you is, if you could pick one principle that Dr. Covey talks about in The Seven Habits, what is that principle that has impacted you the
1: most? No question it would be the difference between having an efficient mindset and having an effective mindset. Dr. Covey wrote the book, as you said, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, oftentimes when I'm on podcast or radio interviews, you'll have a media person that will call it by the wrong name accidentally and refer to it as the seven habits of highly efficient people. Let, 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 let me be very clear. Dr. Covey was a genius and he called it very specifically the seven habits of highly effective people. And it doesn't mean that having an efficient mindset is a bad thing, Carolina. It's just knowing when to be efficient and when to be effective. You can tell from reading my book and following me on social media, and you know, becoming a little bit better um, acquainted with my personality. I am a very efficient person. I'm a very productive person. It's been very vital to my professional contribution in life. This efficiency, where I get up at 4 a.m. This morning I was up at four o'clock. I wrote my Ink magazine column from four to five. I wrote a chapter or two in my next book from about five to seven. I was a dad from seven to eight. I was my first podcast at eight and then at 10 and at noon and then now yours. And then I'll be a dad again this evening and a husband. And so I'm a very productive person, right? I will mow the lawn two hours from now. We're having a dinner party tonight. At lunch, I went and bought a grill at home Depot. I mean, I get a lot done during the day and that efficiency paradigm is great until like a lot of productive people listening to your podcast, We bring that efficient mindset into our relationships because Dr. Covey said, you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective with people. His quote was with people fast is slow and slow is fast. I think it's profound. So the big insight I've learned, which I hope your listeners today can take away is just recognize if you wanna be an effective leader, if you wanna be an effective husband, parent, partner, son-in-law, neighbor, committee member, know when to be efficient and know when to be effective. And in almost every case with people, slower is better than fast.
0: I, I cannot agree more with you. That has been one of the biggest challenges for me um, because like you, I'm a very efficient, fast-paced individual. Um, and sometimes slowing down is a challenge. Like listening is a challenge, which brings me to, to your book. One, in your book, you share 30 challenges to help anyone become a better leader the leader that others want to follow and in in your book one of your challenges has to do with listening first which again I can see that influence from the seven habits right but I really identify myself with this one because this is something that I've been working on for at least like the last two years like I could identify so much with the story you share about interrupting others when they're talking Like you, I think faster than I talk sometimes and, and jump to interrupt others. And I have to work very hard not to, and I heard you explain this and I like to ask you to explain it again here in my podcast, because a great, that was the one challenge that I have to say it's been the hardest for me in the book.
1: Well, I, I'm I'm glad that you touched on this because I think it probably is one of the most underrated and underdeployed leadership competencies, typically because most leaders, if they're at all like me, and increasingly I find that many more and more are, <laughs> um, they've spent most of their career, Carolina, being trained to be great communicators, right? Speak clearly, concisely build a large vocabulary, project your mission, clarify your message, clarify your purpose, your strategy, your mission, your vision, and values. Most leaders are constantly in communication mode, influence mode, persuasion mode, selling mode. I get it. It's a competency. But when you're doing that, you don't build culture. You don't build empathy. You can't listen when you're talking. So I think far too few of us leaders have been trained on how to become better listeners. Because most of us, as Dr. Covey said, listen with the intent to respond, not to understand. Because we're usually in problem-solving mode and it comes, Carolina, from a good place. We wanna help other people solve their problem, right? We've been trained as leaders to fix it, solve it, improve it, move it forward. So when we're talking with people, we tend to get impatient and impulsive. We want to help them from our own experience. The problem is just that. We're helping them from our own experience, not from perhaps their experience. You see, most people don't want you to solve their problem. They want to feel validated. They want to feel like they belong. They want to feel understood. And you can listen empathically to someone and not agree with them but you can still understand what they're going through. So I think listening is really quite selfless. It's talking, it's quite selfish. And I think, like I said, it comes from a good place. You wanna help people, right? Oh, I've dated her, here's how you deal with that. Or I've worked for him, here's how you solve that. Or I've shopped there, here's how you return that, right? We we wanna help people but oftentimes we get into interrupting mode and we interrupt people because we get impulsive or frustrated with their pace or, gosh, this is so simple. If you just listen to me, I'll fix it for you. It generally is not a very helpful communication style. If someone wants you to fix their problem, they will usually use those words. If they don't use those words, don't offer to fix their problem. Just listen.
0: I love the tip or the the strategy that you share in the book about just close your mouth, you know, put one lip on top of the other and count to 10. And, you know, sometimes there's this awkward silences. And when you are in the middle of the silence, it feels like forever, Mm -hmm. right? But sometimes the other person hasn't finished talking there because we all talk at different paces. Some people make pauses in between and that particular very tactical tip that you share in the book has been so helpful.
1: Well, thank you. I actually learned it from the famous linguistics professor, Dr. Deborah Tannen out of Georgetown. She taught that every one of us, Carolina, has what she calls a metaphorical silent alarm clock that goes off in our heads when we are ready for the other person to stop talking. It might be 24 seconds or for you, 48 seconds or for my wife, two minutes and 22 seconds. But when that alarm clock goes off in our minds, because either we're bored, we're distracted, we're frustrated, we want to move the pace along, whatever it is, we tend to interrupt. And the best way to stop doing that, as you explained it very well, is to have that frustration be channeled into having your upper lip touch your lower lip. Just gently close your lips, not in a grimace and not even in a noticeable way for the other person. Just gently close your lips because when your lips touch each other, you're incapable of forming a word. If you can't form a word, you can't talk. If you can't talk, you can't interrupt. So if you just count to eight or 10, the likelihood is, the linguistics science shows, is that the other person will likely stop talking, land their point, or perhaps even disclose something especially important or sensitive. But it gives you a good signal on how to proceed. It it will transform not just your communication style, but your relationships if you can better moderate and even eliminate your propensity to interrupt someone. Most people could employ this as soon as they finish listening to your podcast today.
0: And I really recommend anyone who has, who struggles with listening and interrupting others, this exercise can really improve that immediately. Um, Another question for you, Scott, I know your book is broke down in three sections, lead yourself, lead others, and get results. Do you see these as building blocks? Like, just like, you know, I have to go back to the seven habits. Um, You can conquer your public victory if you haven't conquered your private victory before. Is the same logic that you see here, can someone be successful at leading others or achieving results without having lead themselves first? Well,
1: philosophically, no, right? The whole idea, as you stated it, is to really have mastery over yourself before you try to have mastery with others. That's an awkward way to say it, but I think it makes sense you know, quite frankly, the structure of the book, as you mentioned, is built around 30 common challenges that every leader faces. And I share a lot of horrific, funny, relatable stories about how many failures I had. The first, I don't know, dozen or so, not quite dozen, congeal around leading yourself. The next dozen or so coagulate, if you will, or collect around leading others in the last eight or so are, or however many there are left are around um, getting results. They're all not like fast and hard tied to that section but i did want to build an arc to prove the point you just illustrated which is first lead yourself then lead others and when those two things are in place foundationally you'll build a culture inside your family inside your organization inside your church or mosque or synagogue where you can actually achieve results whatever those results need to be
0: And talking about leadership, I've heard you say this, and I, I mean, it's like you were reading my mind because I, I think the same way. I do believe everyone can be a leader, but I don't think everyone can be a leader of people. And so your book, the From Management Mess to Leadership Success, the target audience would you say are those that are currently leading others or strive to lead others i think this is a great book for any new manager to learn from someone else's mistakes before they even face some of these challenges that you face when you're leading others
1: yeah i think you exactly said it right again carolina is my, my philosophy which may not be very popular quite frankly in the leadership industry or for that matter, even at Franklin Covey, is that I don't believe everyone should be a leader of people. Yes, I believe that everybody has leadership capability within them, but it might be better deployed in leading yourself or leading a project or leading an initiative or leading a um, some kind of campaign. I think that is different in kind than being a leader of people. Just like not everyone should be an anesthesiologist, not everyone should be a corporate or commercial airline pilot. Not everyone should be a leader of people. Leading people is is a really refined skill set. I mean, you know, the Harvard Business Review published a research study a few years ago, Carolina, where they said the average age the first person usually gets promoted, or the person gets promoted into their first management role, is age thirty. Yet the age that they receive their first really formal leadership development training, age forty-two. that a vast majority of leaders across organizations are wrecking havoc across cultures because they don't know what to do they're not bad leaders they're not bad people they just haven't been trained so to your point i don't think everyone should be a leader but if you are going to be a leader of people or you're thinking of becoming a leader of people, then to my book, there are 30 challenges that you're going to face. Things like demonstrating humility and listening and having high courage conversations, providing feedback, setting goals, collaborating, building your self-awareness and on and on and on. These are skills that not everybody naturally has. And so if you're going to be a leader, you have to recognize that it's tough leadership of people can be unrelenting it can often be unrewarding it can feel like some like adult babysitting that's not my phrase i heard it once but i think there's some humor and relatability in that and not everybody should take the effort that it would require just like i'm not going to become a chemical engineer could i I probably could with enough energy and enough tutoring and enough years in college, but it's not worth it for me. So I would just encourage people, if these aren't your natural skills, if you don't naturally like conflict, if you don't naturally like coaching, if you're not a naturally patient person, then this probably is not the right role for you and no harm. I think too often in organizations, we've made the only path to either earn more money or gain more influence or get a better office or more flexibility or whatever it is, you have to lead people. I just fundamentally disagree. There's a lot of tech companies that, if you wanna make it to the next level in the company, you have to lead a team of 10 people. And I think that lures otherwise really valuable people into leadership roles. And then they often implode and they do damage and everybody is worse off. Yeah,
0: Very, very true. I can't agree more with what you just said.
1: You're like my twin sister. I like this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that every time I listen to you, I'm like, he's really oh,
1: That's mind. great. At least I, I have one oh, fan God. out there and I finally found her. It's you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Okay. I want to switch topics for a minute because I've heard the news that there's you're working on your next book. Master Mentors, 40 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. And you've already announced some of those great minds that will be included in the next book. Can you tell us a little bit about what this book is going to be about? What can we expect about this book? I
1: can. I'd be honored to. So you're right. I have started to pre-announce that my next book coming out, I'm pretty confident in January of 2021, is called Master Mentors. 40 transformative insights from our greatest minds so as you mentioned earlier i host what is now the world's largest leadership podcast although i'm going to guess yours is going to probably catch up to mine fairly quickly or even eclipse it Um, each week i am privileged to interview some pretty remarkable people ceos best-selling authors generals scientists and just very very otherwise common people that have overcome significant hurdles or challenges in life so I'm working with Harper Collins, the publisher, and each year I plan to write a different volume where I take 40 specific interviews, 40 people from the On Leadership podcast series, and I dedicate a single chapter, not just to each person, but a single chapter to one transformative idea. It might be something I learned during the podcast. It might be something I learned before the podcast, in the green room or after the podcast or if i know the person extremely well and in many cases i do it might be something i learned from being in a meeting with them or on vacation with them or in a limousine with them or a, you know, not a limousine but you know like a, a car or a plane somewhere so i'm going to take one idea from each of these 40 mentors and really try to expand on how it's worked or not worked in my life or how i've seen it work or not work in someone else's life, and then give some advice and counsel and wisdom and some action items on how the reader can take this transformative insight, 40 altogether from 40 people, and bring them to life in their own careers, their own personal lives, you know, any any part of your life. So I'm very excited. I have all 40 selected. I think um, I've announced 10 of them through my social media and I'll continue to announce one a day for the next 30 days. And then for the next 40 days after that, I'll start announcing what is the insight from each person. I won't I won't share, of course the chapter, but you know here's the big idea from this person. Here's the big idea from that person. So I hope um, your listeners will find it interesting and I hope to publish one of those every year for the foreseeable future. It's a big project.
0: It is, it sounds like, and I can't wait to get the first well, copy of, of that book. Sounds like an amazing, you know, wealth of wisdom. I mean, I, as I said, every podcast episode, I really enjoy. I'm, I'm waiting every week for that, <laughs> you know, to get that email saying that it is. Oh, I'm delighted. And I'm delighted. It's, it's I can't wait to get the call. We have some
1: great interviews coming up. I interviewed uh, John Gordon, the famous, you know, leadership author and consultant. This week I interviewed uh, uh, one of the gentlemen who was the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He sold 500 million books. Remarkable. Next week, I'll give you a sneak peek. Next week, I'm interviewing two African-American men. Stedman Graham, who you know as a fairly famous entrepreneur, businessman, speaker in Chicago. He is the life partner to Oprah Winfrey. Stedman Graham is in and of himself, independent of his partner, a very uh, renowned, successful businessman. And I'm also interviewing um, another gentleman who was, Greg Moore, who was the former editor of the Boston Globe and of the Denver Post. And I'm interviewing them on Black Lives Matter This uh, this conversation on social justice and how they can help everyone understand how to be part of the solution. So that interview is taking place, I think, on Tuesday and it'll air on the following weeks. We have some great interviews coming up. I'm actually booked 40 weeks out. We've already taped almost six months worth of interviews, but so much is happening with COVID or the economy or the pandemic or, you know, Black Lives Matter is that there are times when I want to tape an interview and interject it in. So I'm delighted that you are a fan of the podcast and perhaps I'll come back on yours if I'm invited and talk about Master Mentors.
0: I will love that. And and. I mean, I know how busy you are and I I see you every day active in social media and many other podcasts, your own podcast. So again, it's it's such an honor that you made the time for this conversation. I have one last question for you. In the Covey culture, and I, I mean, I assume in the culture it is because in every training I've took with Franklin Covey, every book I've read, Starting with The Seven Habits, as I said, the book that has most impacted my life, there's this idea of building and living a legacy. What is the legacy that you aspire to? Leave?
1: Yeah, I've never been asked that question before. You know, Carolina, I'm 51. I'll be 52 in a couple of weeks in the end of June. And as I, I've written about a lot, I was single until I was 41. So I've been married for ten years to my wife. My wife is about twelve years younger than I am, and and as I've written a lot about, we had three boys. My wife had three boys, but together we now have three boys. We had them in five years. It was that was a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of a lot of stuff having three boys in five years. And if you would have asked me what was my legacy when I was in my thirties, I would have said I have no idea. I don't know what my mission is. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know. Go to Rome. 10 more times, drink more champagne, play more tennis. I mean, I don't, I was a fairly, you know, self-absorbed single guy, wasn't hurting anybody because no one was responsible to me or me to them. But of course, then I got married and we had children. And so I think now my legacy is actually going to be my three boys, not like carrying on my name or, you know, carrying with the family tradition of authoring or speaking. But how I raise these three gentlemen with my wife, Stephanie, to make sure that they are kind and generous and hardworking and as you know, least biased as possible and that they are great, productive contributors to society. They help other people. They're not self-absorbed. And so my legacy is going to be these three boys. And that happened quite by accident. Tell the truth be told, I didn't want children. But Carolina, I'll let you know an insight. I'm writing a whole series of books in the mess to success theme. The next book that's coming out is called Marketing Mess to Brand Success. It'll come out next year. And then the third book in that series is Job Mess to Career Success. The fourth one is Communication Mess to Influence Success. And the fifth book I'm writing with my oldest son, Thatcher. He's 10 right now. He'll be 14 when the book comes out. But that book is parenting mess to launch success. Now, it's a bit premature because at age 14, he won't be launched yet. But I feel a pretty good trajectory coming on. But long, long answer to your short question is I I don't think my legacy is the books that I've written or that that I'm going to write or by speaking platform or my social media uh, or my podcast. I think it's going to be these three fine, hopefully fine young men.
0: That is amazing and so inspiring. Good um, luck. I feel I already know your kids because they—they—they're also they on social media, and um, I mean, they—they they look like they are really—they're hellions.
1: They're hellions. Oh, they- <laughs> Thank you for being great. What were you going? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I'm cognizant of that. What were you going to say?
0: I don't know what I was going to say. I was trying to you find my the right words.
1: They're me. <laughs> They're more me than they are my wife. And so that's some ways good in some ways, you know, up for debate. But I think my wife has, Stephanie has done a phenomenal job of making sure they're, you know, loved and cared for during the day and my, my, my evening time with them and morning time is precious as well. I have to do a better job of caring less about my career and more about being a dad. And it's a struggle every day, right, to, you know, be the provider of five people. And it's a, it's a yeah. tough balance and they want to play. And they also want to, you know, buy a skateboard, right? So they have to understand there's a balance between how much time I can give them. And so I'm sure every parent struggles with that. But um, they're watching all of the protests. They're watching the looting. They're watching the rioting. They're watching the news. They're listening to the Black Hawk helicopters above our house. We're having conversations every day. My oldest son and I today went to Home Depot to buy the grill. We talked all about... What was going on in the protesters and what we were learning from it and how we could be part of the problem and what some of our beliefs were that were probably not, you know, accurate or whole or helpful. And I'm doing my best to keep them calm, but also use this as a good learning opportunity while they feel safe, but also kind of growing and stretching what they believe as well.
0: Yeah. I, I have myself two kids. I have an 11 year old and a four year old and my four year old doesn't know anything. Um, but my 11 year old does. And, you know, there's no manual that comes when you become a parent and, you know, when you're trying to build a career, you can buy hundreds of books and figure it out. Um, I think that parenting is as such a, for me has been a a big challenge in the current situation with covid-19 and trying to homeschool and with everything going on right now trying to have those tough conversations with your kids
1: it, it's, it's, it's it is it's very stressful and it's very stressful regardless of your gender your age your race your platform your privilege you know i have been fairly excoriated on social media for people who felt I have silent or for not speaking up, or when I have spoken up, people have told me to take it down or don't agree with my opinion. And, and I I've posted about how fatiguing the black Hawk helicopters have come right over my home for six days. And I've had people that have, you know, been insulting to me. Well, you have no idea. And I'm like, yeah, my, you know what? My, my, my 10 year old son is having panic attacks because of the helicopter. So as much as I care about social justice i also care about my boy's mental health and what this is doing what the looting is doing to him and i don't and i don't mean for a moment to equate the looters with the protesters it's easy to confuse the two right there have been some protesters that have looted i'm guessing some looters were not protesters and it's difficult to have have a holistic paradigm. And to your point, right, the economy is in shambles. We are are under this pandemic. It's not going away. In Utah, we had multiple earthquakes, the the homeschooling. I mean, it is a tough time. I think I'm going to choose to be really forgiving of a lot of people. If somebody lashes out at me on social media, I'm not taking them down. If someone is not happy with what a football star says i'm going to wish him a chance to you know regroup his thoughts i I think there's a lot of forgiveness going on and there's a lot of anger that isn't providing a lot of forgiveness and i can see all of that it's a tough time and everybody needs to be a little more patient a little more kind a little more forgiving a little more pre-forgiving as all of us are on this journey at a little bit different pace.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, you, I mean, I, I, I can't add anything to what Well, I'm sure someone that will disagree that. with this. I think <laughs> if, everyone, if everyone would do just a little bit more of that, um, it will be a whole different. Yeah, situation. I think a lot are trying. I think
1: more are trying than not. We're, you know a lot of us that are Caucasian, which I am, um, and with a life of privilege, I've learned a lot. I've learned that you can have a life of privilege and still had struggle. I've learned in the last week you can have a life of white privilege and still have worked extremely hard to earn where you are. That doesn't mean, however, that you should be ignorant to the implicit things that come with white privilege, right? So I've learned a ton too. And so I would ask people that are following me, you know, perhaps be forgiving of me too, because I'm trying to balance what is my role as a spokesperson, a thought leader, and an author. With helping be part of the solution. And also, I need you to know that the Black Hawk helicopters over my home for six days are affecting my oldest son's mental well being and he's having panic attacks. That also isn't healthy. So we're all trying I think more of us are trying to do our share than aren't. And I think we'll all end up in a better place if we all can love each other and and, and try to be part of the solution. Thank you for the platform. I've enjoyed our conversation.
0: Yes, me too. Thank you very much. Once again, Scott, it's such an honor. I, I've started a list of the people that I wanted to invite to my podcast. You were on the top of the list. And I, when I wrote you that email asking you if you would be in my podcast, I was not expecting a yes as an answer. I was already prepared for a no. So this has been such a treat. It has been has such an honor. I can't wait to read your next book. Before I say goodbye, um, if our listeners want to find you in social media, how can they find you? How can they find your podcast, the Franklin Covey Online? Well, I think Japan my
1: podcast? wife would tell you it's not hard to find me. And that's not a compliment. I'm kind of everywhere now. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'd love to have you connect or follow on LinkedIn. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. You also can subscribe to the podcast that I host for Franklin Covey by going to FranklinCovey.com and clicking on the On Leadership button or just Google On Leadership with Scott Miller. It comes out every Tuesday, as you said, via email. And Elizabeth, I, or rather Carolina, I am grateful for you reaching out to me. You know what? People can't help you if they don't know how, right? So I applaud your courage and thank you for reaching out to me. It's been my honor to be on your podcast today.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Very much, Thanks so much. I thank you, Carolina. I have stay safe. Have a great week. You Bye-bye. too. Thank you very much. Wasn't that something? Oh my God. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was such an honor, such a pleasure to have Scott in the podcast this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, you know what I'm going to ask. Please go to Apple podcast and leave me a review. Also, as you're there, make sure that you subscribe so you get notifications of upcoming podcast episodes. And please share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, or in social media. Help me spread the word of this amazing episode. And with that, I hope that you have an amazing day and I'll talk to you again on another episode of the Leading Yourself podcast.